Thank you, Colin, and thank you for your warm welcome. We Literally a warm welcome into Bangor. I don't have had many warm welcomes in Bangor, to be honest. More used to rain and cold weather than the nice sunshine of the last few weeks. But a lovely warm welcome, too, to the church, and thank you for that. I much appreciate that uh, very much indeed. Jesus has been working all day, if you like, and he's sore and he's stiff from bending over, and he's stretching out like this. And as he stretches out like that, the late evening sun captures his it captures the, the picture, it captures him, it throws his image onto the back wall of the shop, and you can see the shadow on the back wall of the shop with the cross, the cross, the cross shelf, and it is very much like a crucified Savior, isn't it? A crucified Lord, very much like Jesus under the shadow of the cross. And that's what Jesus knew about himself. He was born for that. He was born to live for that. And the next slide... Uh, captures that as well. Because from Luke chapter 9 onwards in, in the gospel, and if you've looked at the whole of Luke, you'll have known this. At Luke chapter 9, we see that Jesus set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem, knowing that as he went to Jerusalem, he was going to be beaten, tried, tortured, and put to death. He headed for Jerusalem from the middle of his ministry onwards, knowing that he would encounter the cross at that particular time. But Jesus didn't turn away from that. At any stage in his life, Jesus didn't turn away from that. And if you're really good eyesight and can see the footprints, I don't know where this came from. This was just a, a picture. Uh, if you can see the footprints, they're not walking away from the shadow of the cross. They're not walking away from the cross where the shadow has been formed. They're walking towards it. Jesus' whole life was living under the shadow of the cross. Jesus' whole life was moving towards the cross. That was its climax. That was its goal. That was his purpose. Because Jesus was a man with a mission. And that mission was to accomplish salvation for the people of God, to bring about salvation for those that would respond to Jesus and respond to God and respond to life, his life-giving offer. And Jesus basically uh, set his mind to fulfill this mission by going to Jerusalem and facing the cross. He had to accomplish his mission. And uh, if you look again at Luke chapter 9, you'll have known there's another verse in there in the Transfiguration where we're told that Jesus went to Jerusalem to accomplish his mission, to fulfill his exodus, is actually what the original language means, to fulfill his goal, his exodus. And that gives a real clue as to what Luke 22 is about in so many ways, because it is the exodus pictures in the background, and particularly the Passover element of that is in the background to Luke chapter 22. It's the key to unlocking what this passage is about. It's the key to seeing beyond the surface things into the heart and the life and the actions and the words of Jesus. And we'll see something of that in the next slide. It's as though, in a sense, we look at Luke 22 through Passover, Exodus, glasses. The Passover particularly, that part of the Exodus, we look to Luke 22 through the, the lens of the Passover because it explains, it gathers together, it brings together the dots, if you like, of what's happening in Luke 22. And even Steve Jobs, or Jobs, uh, ex-Apple man, wasn't he? Uh, he said this, I don't know when he said it, but I've heard it a few times, reminding us that if you're going to understand what's going on here in the now, in the here and now, and particularly in the Passover event, if you're understanding 
uh, in the, the event in, on, in Luke 22. If you're going to understand Luke 22 in the here and now, you've got to look back to the dots that take it to the past, that explain some of it from the past. If you're going to look forward with confidence, you've got to join the dots together. And Steve Jobs, Jobs got that. You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in the future. That's just a vague statement of hope. But biblically speaking, if we're going to grab what Luke 22 is about, if we're going to grab what the cross is about, we've got to grab hold of the Passover, the past, and understand that whole Exodus event lies underneath and lies behind and covers over the whole event of Luke 22. So let's look at that passage of Scripture. And as we do so, as we look at that, looking at, if you look in the rear view mirror side of it with the Passover being what we're looking at, if you look at it, you'll see that Jesus is provoking conflict. Jesus is provoking a severe and deadly conflict. That the ministry of Jesus always provoked conflict. Not because he was an awkward cuss, not because he was a deliberately provocative man, but because of what he was and what he was about. There was always going to be conflict, just as there was conflict at the Exodus. Conflicts between God through Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh and the Egyptians. There was conflict there. It was salvation that was the matter that was under, under deliverance. It was the mission matter. It was salvation that God was bringing to pass, but conflict was part and parcel of what underlay that salvation, because there was freedom to be fought for, and freedom to be won, and cost to be prayed. So Jesus basically provoked conflict from the, the beginning of his ministry right through to this stage at Luke 22 on the day of, of Passover, the day before he was crucified. There's a soul sense of conflict, increasingly so, as there was in the Passover. And we see that with Jesus and understand that with Jesus. If we look back, we make sense of what's coming forward. And one of the things that we see in this is that that conflict is because men are planning and scheming. Danger men at work is a sign we often see. And there are men at work behind the scenes in this conflict with Jesus. Men at work, those men are Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest, plural, and the Sanhedrin, these Jewish politicians, if you like, and the Jewish religious leaders. They were scheming, they were planning. They wanted rid of Jesus. They realized that he was a big threat to them and their position and their power and their influence. They wanted rid of him. But they were fearful of it all. They were fearful of taking any steps that might provoke a rebellion because they knew Passover was full of pilgrims. Pilgrims are Passover pilgrims. Passover pilgrims are excitable people at that stage. They're all, up to, you know, all full of beans and energy and, and, and sort of faith, faith and fervor. And to do something against Jesus in the public and in the open arena could well provoke conflict that would actually spill over into rebellion. So they were scheming, how do we get rid of this man? How can we ever get rid of this Jesus? We need to get some place where it'll be quiet. We need to get some place where the crowd won't be there. We need to be able to do this in some way, uh, kind of skulking around in the back alleys kind of thing. Men scheming, men planning, but not finding the answer just yet. More has yet to happen. 
as well as men scheming and men at work, there's another slide uh, that tells us Satan was manipulating. Satan was playing his manipulative games. Satan was pulling strings and using Judas as a puppet. The Bible actually says, Luke actually records for us, Satan entered Judas Iscariot. Horrendous thought. Horrendously dark, dark moment in the whole gospel story. And John picks it up by saying Jesus went out and it was dark. But Satan entered Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot had all sorts of reasons, no doubt, why he would give for why he betrayed Jesus. And preachers over the centuries have played on all those sorts of things. But look simple and plain and blunt. Satan entered Judas Iscariot and made him the pawn in a game where he was the solution to the scheming and the planning of the high priests and the, the Jewish council. He was the pawn who would play his part in giving them the means to capture Jesus. But it was Satan behind it all. And let's never be fooled by facts, uh, be fooled by thinking that somehow Christianity is an easy game, that somehow Christianity is all rosy and and comfortable and cozy and, and nice, and it is all of those things, but it's much, much more besides. We live in a world where the church very much today knows conflict. Much of the church in the world today experiences conflict on a regular basis. Wasn't it just a fortnight ago? Three churches in Indonesia, no less, were bombed by uh, suicide bombers, all from one family, a, a, su- a family of suicide bombers, and uh, 13 people were killed and others badly injured. In Indonesia, all over the world, the church is in conflict. All over the world, the church is in a place of uh, severe torturing and, and uh, persecution, even with deaths. That's the way the church has always been. That's the way the church has been since the beginning. The church was born in conflict. Its Savior, its Lord, its Messiah, its King was caught up in the conflict in Jerusalem in AD 30 or AD 33. We're not quite sure which. But there was conflict and Satan was manipulating it. He was playing the game. He was pulling strings. And he used Judas Iscariot. He would enter Judas Iscariot. He used Judas Iscariot as the pawn, as his puppet. So here was the men scheming, men at work. Here, were, here was Satan manipulating, pulling strings to get Jesus. He wanted to get rid of Jesus. He wanted to do away with Jesus altogether, finally finished. And the tragedy is that, if you read that wee passage at the start of Luke 22, the pr- tragedy is that when the religious leaders, the Jewish chief priests and the Jewish leaders, when they discovered that, that Judas was willing to betray Jesus, were told they were delighted. How incredible. They were delighted. Here's a work of Satan. Here's a mouthpiece of Satan going to betray Jesus. And they are delighted at the thought. How horrendous. How far even religious men and women can get away from God. Be warned. All of us be warned of that how far from God we can stray. So here was two powerful forces, men at work. And I'm not using men in a sexist way, but it was men who were at work. It was men who were doing the damage. It was men who were doing the planning. It was men who wanted to do away with Jesus. It was men. And here's Satan scheming, or Satan manipulating and, and devising his plots. And here in the middle of it all is Jesus. Here in the middle of it all is Jesus. And... That's something that 
continues because that has been evening time. We've gone into dusk on Passover day. We've gone into dusk on the Thursday. On the Thursday, not, uh, not Passover day. We've gone into dusk by now by the Passover meal. And the Passover meal brings to the surface and brings to the, the fore something about Jesus. Jesus was in charge of the timing of things. Jesus was not a pawn in Satan's game or in the religious Hitler's game. Jesus was in a very real sense in control of when things happened, of when things came to pass. He knew what was happening, but he held the reins and chose the moments. He knew it was his hour. When the hour had come, says Luke, when the hour had come, not just the hour being six o'clock or something like that, but God's hour, God's time, the hour that Jesus had spoken of frequently in the Gospels. The hour has come. This is the moment. This is the time. This is when it all comes to a head. And Jesus, and if you look at the story in Luke 22, he made sure that he controlled the timing. He chose the moment of when he would allow himself to be betrayed. But even before that, he chose to spend time with his disciples under the threat of the plan of the high priests, under the threat of manipulation of the situation by Satan. He chose the moment of when, when and where he would celebrate Passover with his disciples. He wanted to spend this evening with his disciples and he didn't allow these men who were scheming or this Satan to interfere with that. He had plans for the disciples this night this Passover night, to share fellowship together, to share food together, to share teaching together. And Luke's, or John's gospel spells out a tremendous amount of that teaching to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to celebrate that which would become the communion service for the Christian church. Jesus wanted all of that. I have desired to spend this evening with you, my friends, is basically what he's saying. I have chosen to spend this last night of my feet touching this earth as a uh, as a man of flesh and blood, I've chosen to spend this night with you and be with you. And nothing's going to stop that happening. He chose it. He secretively chose the place. He chose the time. Jesus was in control. And then after he'd done what he wanted to do with his disciples, after he'd shared what he wanted to share with his disciples, after he'd received the blessing of being with the disciples that particular night, he moved out in the evening, if you like. He moved out of the evening of the Passover into the darkness of the night. He headed for Gethsemane. And you see that story unfolding. The darkness is encreaching, encroaching, the darkness of the night, but the darkness of the hour also is encroaching. And we see in the latter part of Luke 22, we see Satan no longer scheming, but Satan now going into action. Jesus has had time to pray. Jesus has a time in the darkness of the night in the Garden of Gethsemane to strengthen himself and to be strengthened by an angel, remember, to be given the extra courage and strength and peace that he would need to face it all, even the joy that he would need to face it all. For it was the joy that, that was set before him. He endured the cross despite his shame, remember. The joy. It wasn't something that he was enjoying, but it was the joy of doing God's will. So in the darkness of the night, Jesus went into the garden, and we are told at that stage, he trembled. 
We're told at that stage he endured the agony of the temptations of Satan to abandon the will of God. But he stood firm. But he sweated. And as he sweated, it was like great drops of blood falling to the ground. He was in agony. But he came to a moment of decision. He came to a, a moment of, this is it. From here forward, it's down the path the Father's laid out for me. And as he struggled, Father, if possible, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And making that decision, making that commitment, as some preachers have said for a long time, Jesus, who trembled when he came into the yard, never trembled again. Never trembled again. He emerged from the garden determined to go through with the cross, knowing exactly what it would mean, knowing all the suffering and the pain, not just the physical and the emotional and the mental, but the spiritual pain that he was going to endure. He faced it confidently, courageously. The darkness of the night was penetrated by that commitment of Jesus and by that decision of Jesus. And then other things began to happen. Not because Jesus was out of, had lost control of things, but because the moment had arrived and certain things had to fall into place. So the second half of, and I'm only going to touch on this, the second half of Luke 22, after the betrayal and the rest, is Peter, as Jesus said he would, denying Jesus. In the darkness of the night, his faith fails, his faith crumbles. He's not betraying Jesus, he's denying that he knows him. He's not handing him over to the evil ones. He's not Satan's pawn or puppet. He's just simply a man whose faith fails at this moment, and he denies Jesus. And the denial and the tears are part and parcel of the beginning of the new day, the beginning of the new dawn. These are the events that fall into place, the betrayal and the rest, the denial and the tears. And then comes the verdict, this early morning now, has to be because this is business that can only be conducted in early morning. It's early morning now, and here gathered now are the forces of opposition to Jesus. Pilate, the Roman governor, Herod, the puppet prince, if you like, puppet king, and the Jewish leaders. But Jesus is the one who basically is deciding what's going to happen. He's the one who says what he needs to say to the high priests. That's not much. Here's the one who says what he needs to say to Pilate, the Roman governor. And here's the one who says not a single word to Herod. Not a single word to Herod, who was just basically went in to make fun of him and mock him. Jesus stands in contrast to Herod, Herod as a strong, kingly man, majestic man. Herod's the, the clown, if you like, beside him. But Jesus chooses the moments. But the thing is, before the end of Luke 22, before they've even gone to the court proper, they've decided Jesus is guilty. They've made their verdict already. The court case is just going to be going through the motions. Going through the motions, not proving anything, just going through the motions and carrying out the purpose of crucifying Jesus. That's what their whole plan and purpose was from now on in. The verdict was made. They all said, are you then the Son of God? He said to them, this is the Jewish leaders, you rightly say that I am. And they said, what further testimony do we need? For we've heard it for ourselves from his mouth. We don't need any more testimony. He's guilty. 
Let's take him and get him done. Let's take him and get him finished off. Let's take him and let, let the, the Pilate uh, crucify him. The darkness is there, yes, but Jesus is there majestically, standing clear of it all. Even with a, a battered back, a bloodied back, a ripped open back, with the flogging and the, sl- and the, uh, and the, the whipping, Jesus stands there majestically. He's holding the reins. He's holding the reins. He's going forward on his mission. He's going to accomplish his exodus. All Luke's thoughts. He's going to be the Passover lamb whose blood would be shed and who would set the slaves free. The slaves of sin and and Satan and death and hell and the world and religion. Jesus heads forward now to the cross to accomplish his plan and purpose and to bring us salvation. His life forevermore. Let's pray.